0: Welcome back to the Erica Riles Show. I have such a special guest for you this morning. Her name is Nicole Zasowski. Nicole is a licensed marriage and family therapist and the author of From Lost to Found Giving Up What You Think You Want for What Will Set You Free. You guys are going to love what Nicole has to share. Her story is so rich, and her book is something that I recommend for everyone. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Erica. I'm so glad to be here. At the end of the show, I'm going to um, let everyone know how they can find you and where they can find your book, but for now, we just want
1: to get introduced to you and learn a little bit about your story. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, as you mentioned, I'm a marriage and family therapist. Um, But when the story within the pages of the book started, I didn't realize that I was personally missing out on the peace and joy that I was passionate about helping others find in my counseling practice. And it wasn't until I confronted my own season of pain, um, beginning with a move across the country that was unexpected and something I was very much not excited about Um, and included five miscarriages in a season that could really largely be characterized by change and loss. Mm -hmm. And certainly in that season, I lost tangible things. Um, But in what I now recognize to be God's graciousness to me, I also lost the touch points of security and the props to my faith, things that I didn't realize I was adding to Jesus to um, give me my value and sense of security. And then I don't, I don't think struggles or pain are ever inherently good, but they can be used for good in our lives. And for me, that was certainly true because my idols and, um, like I said, my securities were were called out as frauds, um, and pr- I realized that they had promised way more than they could actually deliver um, when I confronted a painful season. And so um, I really, the gift of that was I was introduced to more of God than I knew before. I had been a Christian my whole life, but um had been adding things to him <laughs> um, and a different relationship began to emerge between the two of us and so um that that really in a nutshell, is the story um in my book from lost to found and and once I started experiencing that joy and talking about it um as I was speaking or as it came up in my practice, I realized I was not alone, that the details of our stories might be different, but um, God is writing a story of redemption and hope into whatever our story may look like, um, and none of us is immune to pain or loss. Uh, we're we're recording this during the, the height of the coronavirus um, epidemic, so it's a timely topic, but um, nothing about that is good, but we God certainly loves us way too much to waste it. And so um, I was given empty hands to cling to him in a different way than I had before.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. I love how you said some of your idols um, showed up as frauds and they could not deliver. Would you be willing to share some of those? Because I feel like so many of us um, have been there. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um, so for me, one of the things that I was adding to my faith in order to feel significant and safe was my own performance and my own effort and hard work, um, I, which is really the, the root of that is control, mm-hmm. um, is that I believe that if I just do everything right, and if I am as perfect as I can be, I can keep myself safe from having to feel, um, insignificant. It's really, I was trying to save myself <laughs> instead of, um, you know, be, being my own savior instead of relying on the, the, um, grace and power of Christ. And I confronted things that I could not change. You know, it didn't matter how, um, Hard I worked, or how perfect I could be, I couldn't protect myself from losing those five babies. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't. Uh, when I first moved to the East Coast, I thought that the way I could feel at home here was to impress everybody around me. And I will tell you, no one was impressed. <laughs> no <laughs> one. No one had heard of the school I went to. I was way younger than most therapists, um, are in this area. And, um, people just kind of wrote me off and they, I I had really relied on my reputation and all the accolades that I had gotten, um, in my career and as a graduate student in California and no one knew me, um, mm-hmm. when I moved. And so to be, to look at myself and say, am I valuable for just me instead of what I do or instead of my reputation or, you know, all this affirmation I've gotten, um, that, that was where the rubber met the road because I didn't have any of that anymore.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like you really, um, went through an an identity. I don't want to say crisis, but maybe you can fill in the blank. Oh, it
1: was. Okay. (laughs) That's not stretching it. (laughs) I feel like
0: there are, we might visit or encounter several identity crises in our lives as humans, or do you find that in your practice?
1: Absolutely. I think, um, you know, pain can come from two different directions. This is based on a model I use in therapy um, called restoration therapy, But anytime we experience a violation of love, um, it says something about who we are. So if we get a confusing message about love or an unloving message, we're going to feel something that relates to our identity. Um, And our temptation as human beings, I think pretty much across the board is to put our identity in things outside of being a child of God. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that our gifts and our calling and all of that don't matter. They certainly do. And they're, they're part of our uniqueness in the way that God made us, but they don't make us significant. Um, And I think if you're anything like me, I'll go first. I, um, I definitely have, and I still struggle with this, have the tendency to put my significance in other things like i i know i'm loved no matter what but it's been a real journey for me to understand that i am significant no matter what
0: yeah you know you there were so many parts i'm an audiobook i'm an audiobook person well because oh great lots of littles but so I, i i there were so many parts while listening to your book that I had to stop and go back and just (laughs) sort of just soak it in. Uh One part was where you said, um, and I'm sort of paraphrasing, correct me if needed, but it's instead of acting or moving for significance to get significance when your identity is in God then you move from significance and that Mm -hmm. gives you a different level of strength and courage. Yes. I thought back in my own life, like how many times have I moved towards something to get significance Mm -hmm. versus from significance? Like that was, that was so powerful to me. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like that happened? after some of the stress and challenges and losses that you faced or before?
1: Yeah, it was definitely the truth that got um, uncovered and revealed in the wake of what had been lost in my story. Um, I, I reached a new level of pain when those events occurred, um, and then I found myself kind of trying you know, kind of one more go at that performance and control and all those things I do to try and stabilize my identity and sense of security. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when that ultimately failed, um, that was really painful because I, you know, I had no more cards to play. I was all out of aces. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was left empty handed and then I could receive the fullness of what God wanted to give me, which um, was very much you, well, not what he wanted to give me, what he had already given me, which was my full significance in him. But for the first time I was seeing it um, mm-hmm. because I really didn't have anything else. Um, and so I was able to say, okay, if this is already true about me, then I can pursue my gifts and calling from that knowledge of my significance rather than looking at every opportunity as a chance to increase or decrease my value.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And and you, you sort of drew out some tendencies that I think, I, I think a lot of us can look at Numbing mechanisms or Mm -hmm. or unhealthy coping mechanisms of how we deal with how we deal with stress and challenges and obstacles. Um, Obvious ones are you know uh, poor self care or addictions or abuse, and and the obvious ones. But you really did point out that some of your coping was um, somehow things that are deemed as respectful in our society, yet they were Mm -hmm. still idols in your life. Yeah,
1: that's why they were sneaky for so long, Um, and I didn't realize that they were um, as unhealthy and and keeping me from peace and joy as much as they were, because a lot of people looked at those things and really praised me for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, my work ethic, my, you know, my desire for excellence, which again, are, are great things. Those are gifts but they move from gifts to idols when your value and sense of security are hinging on them. Um, and mine definitely were, but they were quote unquote working. (laughs) They weren't really working in terms of giving me peace and joy, but they, um, nobody said anything. And the reality is I was, you know, when I looked at my coping mechanisms, even when I saw them as unhealthy, I was secretly proud of them because who were they really hurting? Um, but the reality is anything we do that's unhealthy in reaction to our pain is equally relationally destructive um, in our relationship with ourselves and other people.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it and I I learned through your story that you suffered from migraines, which a lot of our audience also does. Do you I don't I don't want to falsely draw a connection, but do you see any connection or did you learn anything about the migraines and how that related to your overall health?
1: Yeah, so um a lot of my migraines um, are actually diet related, (laughs) Uh um, which I didn't realize, um, that I had some pretty intense food sensitivities. Um, but for the longest time I was, even when I would get them, I was unwilling to listen to my body because that performance just kept me pushing through that pain. Like, I can be stronger, um, I can get through this. And really what the message that was pushing through was I'm less significant if I stop or I don't finish it in time, or I, if my capacity is just less than what other people might be able to accomplish in a certain period of time because my body will throw up that flare and say you've, you've gone too far Um, And then once I get a migraine, I'm incapacitated. So Mm -hmm. I definitely um, was unwilling to heed the uh, warning signs um, that really impacted my health, um, even in addition to some of the dietary restriction triggers that that I now know about and didn't know then.
0: So it's sort of just denying your needs and listening to the communication that your body was trying to give you uh, for that gift that had sort of turned to an idol and um, all for the name of per- preserving your value mm-hmm. or control. I that's so interesting, and I wonder. I mean, I know I've definitely struggled with that before, um, and I and I see a lot of people that I serve are parents, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think just the struggle of either you know moving toward parenthood, the pursuit of parenthood, mm-hmm. the law that's involved, um, sometimes infertility struggles, and then when we do get the children, then it's like it's always this balance of how do you honor your own needs. And then how do you still show up and serve? And how do you gauge that? You've given us a really clarifying statement of if the gifts and the striving for excellence turns to an idol, like what do you use to help you navigate that? How do you know when that's getting crossing the line into something that could go from helpful to hurtful to you?
1: I think, um, just being able to ask yourself some questions of, you know, if, if I'm pursuing this dream and I'm working, I'm using my gifts, I'm, I'm giving it my all. That's good. That's a good thing. But who am I, if it doesn't work out? Um, am I still empowered to make choices if the thing I'm going for, um, isn't, you know, doesn't turn out the way I think it will, or how? You know, what is my response going to be if um, I fail? How am I? How am I tempted to treat myself if I fail? You know, those are those are good questions to be answering as you pursue a goal or a dream because it's it's sort of a litmus test of is my identity captured in this one opportunity or this one dream or this one part of myself, or am I just really excited about it? I'm gonna give it all I got. Um, I will feel disappointed if it doesn't work out, but there's a huge difference between feeling disappointed and being a disappointment. And Mm. am I I seeing that line clearly and am I on the right side of that line?
0: Yeah, that's such a healthy perspective. How have you integrated your faith and your psychology background and practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I very fortunately, um, I got my master's in marriage and family therapy at fuller theological seminary. Um, and so I'm grateful to have learned at an institution where it was constantly part of the conversation, but mm-hmm. that, that integration of faith, um, and, in terms of practically what it looks like working with clients um, I follow their lead the clients lead on that in terms of how explicit I am Mm -hmm. um, and whether they're a person of faith and they want to incorporate that into their work Um, it's usually helpful when they do (laughs) Um, because there's so much imagery and access to truth that a person of faith has that someone who doesn't know God yet um, just doesn't have um, that avenue of truth um, that they can, they can count on and turn to. So, um, but I of course don't do anything or say anything that's incongruent with my faith, even if the person is not, um, a believer themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, the work looks similar and that I am always pressing people toward, um, you know, health in their identity and health in their sense of safety.
0: Mm-hmm. Sense of safety. That's mm-hmm. so could you tell us a little bit more about what it might look like if we lose that sense of safety. Like how does that play out in, in our lifestyles and our health behaviors
1: and our relational behaviors? Yeah. So um, this is a conversation I'm having a lot right now because the world is so very clearly not, uh, not feeling like a safe place right now with um, coronavirus. Yes. Um, So As I said earlier, pain comes from two different directions. One is when we experience a violation of love and that will likely result in pain around our identity. The other direction is a violation of safety. Um, The tough part about this is that it results in pain around whether or not we're secure. Um, I think most of us, even if we're not feeling it in a given moment (laughs) about ourselves, most of us would agree that human beings have inherent values. So the truth about our identity is a lot more straightforward. The truth about safety is a little trickier because are we really safe in life? Mm -hmm. Well, no, (laughs) you know, there's, there's, um, all sorts of things that could happen at any given time that are out of our control. And so it doesn't really work to be able to, to look at an unsafe situation and say, you're safe, you're safe. You know, our, our minds and hearts are going to, are going to call, call our bluff on that. And so um, we have to come up with truths that um, mitigate um, that lack of safety and, and, can speak truth to our sense of security in the midst of an unsafe situation. And so there's three avenues for that. The first is while I may not be able to control the universe, I am not totally powerless Mm -hmm. and I can make choices. Um, So we're seeing this a lot right now. We can socially distance um, based on the recommended guidelines that the government is giving us, we can wash our hands, we can, um, you know, we can make choices that keep ourselves more safe, even if we are not in total control. Um, It's tapping into that agency that we all have. Um, And the second thing is, we are not alone. And I'm loving on social media that that's definitely a message that's coming through. A lot of posts are saying, you know, we're all in this together. If we have to go through this, we're not by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you are a person of faith, even if you do feel alone in a situation, we know that we always have the comfort of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. um, that, that Christ has promised his presence with us. Um, and then finally, uh, in in I want to be careful with how I describe it because it can be misinterpreted easily. But if we have to go through something, um, that doesn't feel safe, then certainly that thing is not good in and of itself. Um, but things usually there's opportunity to find goodness and to grow, um, in the midst of it or on the far side of it. Um, So if I had to go through those five miscarriages and seasons of infertility, I'm not going to, for one second, tell you (laughs) that that's the story I would have written for myself. And I'm not saying those events are a good thing, but I have a totally different relationship with God and with people in my life because of that. Um, And it, it revealed some stuff in me that really needed to be worked out that I'm not sure would have been worked out. Had I not gone through that? Um, You know, I, I probably would have looked at my children as entitlements or, you know, things, things I should have because gifts I should have, because I would be a good mom or I deserve them. And now I see they are total gifts of grace. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, I needed to understand that our, as wonderful as the gift of a child is our hope is ultimately in the giver of all gifts and not the gift itself. Um, even the best gifts like a child. And so these are just a few things that got worked out in me through the process of a story I wouldn't have chosen for myself. And so those three things are how we find security in the midst of an unsafe situation.
0: Oh my gosh. Those are so helpful and comforting. And I love how you said, I, I wouldn't have chose this story for myself. I mean, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah, so many, (laughs) I, I can, I can so relate with that. It's like, wow, I would have never chose this for myself, but also I can tell that you've experienced, um, grief. Mm-hmm. And because the way that you approached that third uh, component of those three things that, that kind of help keep us safe is you wanted to be careful with saying there is, there can be meaning, mm-hmm. not in the suffering, but in the transformation that could come The growth that could come because I feel like you have to have experienced or been around suffering to some extent to be able to have that perspective. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, at least I know in my time of grief, I I noticed a lot of people wanting to make me feel better. Yeah. Quickly. Yep. (laughs) And and could that be to help their own sense of safety?
1: Yeah, I think there's usually when you're the person comforting, or when you're being being comforted by a well-intentioned friend, um, we are quick to pull each other out of the mud um, because usually that's an indication that that there's something going on with us that mm-hmm. we feel powerless to fix it, or we're putting pressure on ourselves to fix it, and. There's a gap between what we're asking ourselves to do and what we're empowered to do. So we just say something that feels like a quick fix but falls a little flat. Um, Most of the time, what's most helpful is if we're the one grieving to just have somebody crawl into the mud with us and say, you're not alone. I'm here. I wish I could fix it, but I know I can't. And I just want you to know I'm here. But most of us... um, are very uncomfortable with pain and so we're quick to tie a bow on something that really can't have a bow tied on um Mm -hmm. and there's a difference between trying to tie a bow on something and recognizing the transformation that's happening in you because of it there's a profound difference between those two things, but you're absolutely right, and it's one of the questions I get most often is how do you comfort someone who's grieving because it is such a helpless feeling, Um, particularly because usually it's not anything that can be fixed, Um, and that's where the you're not alone message can be so powerful in healing um, as a community.
0: Yeah. So, so knowing that we're not completely helpless and while we can't control the universe, but we, we do have, we can feel empowered with a few choices, Mm -hmm. um, that we're not alone, that we have this sort of collective humanity that we can invite others in and also our relationship with God Mm -hmm. and that there is, um, an opportunity
1: to have growth and meaning but that if we have to go through something there's there's growth and goodness to be found in the midst of it
0: mhm mhm most definitely well i think and also just having the awareness of of that a, a threat of safety mm-hmm. and that While it's very easy to identify in a, in a global crisis like we're in now, um, it might, like you said, be a little sneaky when it's just something like, um, oh, I don't know, the loss of control of your afternoon when, (laughs) when work or, or a family life, right? Like, so can we feel a threat of our safety in those more mundane everyday challenges?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It does not have to be something as big as coronavirus or grieving, grieving the death of a loved one. Um, It can, it can be, you know, feeling out of control, Um, because your kid is homesick from school and you were expecting to get a ton of work done while they were at school or, um, you know, your car won't start or, um, you know, it's just, this project is just taking a little longer than you thought it would. There's, there's a whole myriad of things that can, um, touch that powerless, helpless feeling in us, um. Mm -hmm. And the kind of pain we feel is going to be largely shaped by our stories up to this point. So you and I could go through the exact same thing this afternoon, and I might feel not good enough and worthless, and you might feel, uh, let's say, alone and powerless just based on the ways that our story have shaped the kind of wounds that we tend to feel. Um, even if the situation is exactly the same. So our, the, our stories and our relationships up to this point have a profound impact on the way we experience current situations.
0: Sure. That makes perfect sense. And it also kind of brings me back to the way that you approached yourself in that, that time where you were under that stress. Instead of comparing yourself to someone else, to kind of validate yourself, Mm -hmm. you instead approached yourself with curiosity. You asked yourself those questions to kind of explore and understand yourself better versus judge yourself.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's an opportunity to get curious. And anytime we see ourselves um, reacting, often we'll see that first because it's, it's, the tip of the iceberg, it's what we can actually see. Um, That is a great clue to say, huh, how am I feeling about myself? Or how am I feeling about my circumstances? Um, Because I'm watching myself do this, this defensive behavior. And that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That's always rooted in pain. Um, and so we're wise to kind of get curious with ourselves and say, "I must either be feeling something about who I am, or I must be feeling something about my sense of empowerment or security in the world."
0: Yeah, so interesting. And you know what that that brings me back to another gem of uh, just another epiphany that you brought to the surface in your book. But you mentioned now my work as a health coach there's a word that comes up quite frequently related around health behaviors, and that's anxiousness Mm -hmm. or anxiety. And you laid out that translation. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that before? Sure.
1: Um, I wanted to understand, I I knew that anxiety was what we call a secondary emotion um, or a reaction, meaning that there's either a feeling about our identity or a feeling about our safety happening underneath it. And I wanted to understand what that was for me because I was incredibly anxious when I first moved to the East Coast. And I had never been a person who was afraid to try new things or, um, you know, I I actually kind of prided myself on liking change in many ways. So it was an interesting reaction. and in my research, as I kind of did a deep dive into this, I discovered that the Greek root for anxiety, I may not pronounce it right, but it's Um and I, uh, it means to be divided. And that just really rang true for me because I realized when there's more than one source of my actions or there's more than one object of my worship i'm going to get anxious so when i'm trying to please a bunch of people instead of serving god with what i'm doing um, and looking to him alone then i'm probably gonna get anxious when i'm i have my identity in a bunch of different opportunities or people's opinion or um, opportunities to perform then I'm going to get anxious. Um, and so my goal with the book um, in this season is just to remember, okay, I wrote it because God asked me to. And he gave me a story that I couldn't stay quiet about. Um, and he gave me truth I couldn't stay quiet about that I wanted to share. But I'm doing this in obedience to him. And I'm doing this to glorify his name alone. Mm-hmm. When I keep those two, the main thing, <laughs> um, I'm a lot less anxious about how many people are reading it, whether or not it gets shared in certain venues. You know, I just, I've, of course, I'm always delighted when I hear from a reader, um, that they're enjoying the book and when I see it being shared and, and those are wonderful things. But, um, ultimately I want God's name to be glorified alone. Mm-hmm. Um, And when I keep that the main thing, the anxiety gets substantially reduced. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And your safety is just sort
0: of um, protected in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like as complicated as life is for most of us, that feels so soothing and so simple and just like pure clarity. It's that, st- mm. it's just that <laughs> um, when you say it at least. And, I, you know, I, um, I can't imagine what y- you had to sort of take yourself through and how much you really had to embody that idea to go through what you went through with five losses And, um, how did you find the courage to keep going, to keep trying? And now you have, Mm -hmm. you have two beautiful little boys, a four-year-old and yeah, but that, that wasn't just an overnight thing. I mean, how many Mm -hmm. years did that go on in your life where you had to keep embodying that truth?
1: Yeah, it's, um. Well, in some ways it's still going on. We would love to have more children and we have a diagnosis that every time I get pregnant makes it more likely for me to lose the baby than not. Mm -hmm. Um, So in some ways it's, it's ongoing. um, Even though, goodness, am I grateful for the two gifts I have um, with my two sweet boys, but um, gosh, I'm trying to, I think it's a seven year journey now, wow. um, two miscarriages before my first son and then three in between my two boys, um, with, and within that, some failed fertility, um, treatment attempts and, you know, some other disappointing losses as well, um, that weren't miscarriages, but other Um, disappointing Mm -hmm. encounters. Um, And so to answer your question, there's a chapter in my book that talks about hope and how scary it can feel. Mm -hmm. And I I got to this place where I kind of wondered, what is the point of hoping if, if all I'm doing is lifting myself up to come crashing down, isn't it a better idea to just keep my expectations really low Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then, Worst case scenario, it doesn't hurt that bad because I'm not surprised. And then, you know, best case scenario, I get, you know, hap- a happy surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I realized is when you protect yourself from hope, you protect yourself from all of it. Mm-hmm. So you protect yourself from the joy, too. Um even if it looks like the joy of connecting with your community in the midst of pain um, because you're telling yourself, you know, it's not that bad, or I didn't really expect it anyway. You're doing all these things to sort of hedge your expectations. Um, and what I realized is, uh, and, and I, I don't know how this came to me, but I, I was all, my heart was always sort of tenaciously leaning toward hope, even when I didn't really have great reasons to. Mm-hmm. And I realized that in doing so, in in the midst of hope, in committing myself to that, I was claiming certain things to be true. Like in the asking of God, um, in my prayers toward him, making requests toward him, and um, I was claiming certain things to be true about God um, that were a tremendous comfort to me. The, the best analogy I have is, you know, a, a toddler or a preschool age child or even an older child who approaches their parent and just says, you know, Hey mom or dad, can I have this? Like there's, there's no, um, there's no pause or fear in a healthy relationship between child and parent about making that request. Um, and that child is, is acknowledging that their parent is a safe person to approach in the asking of that way. And so I just, I, I realized that me continuing to show up um, and ask for things from God Um, was also claiming certain things to be true about him um, that were really important to cling to and made hope a good idea. Because hope isn't a good idea because it um, necessarily changes our circumstances, but um, it's a good idea because of who God is.
0: Yes. Oh, wow. And I I have never heard these two words put together until now, but commitment and hope Mm. I I mean it's kind of like we think at least I have hope being this state that we're sort of just in or we aren't but Mm -hmm. you're saying it's a process it's a commitment and there's that changes I mean that's a whole different conceptualization of what hope is and does and how Mm -hmm. we get it so um so that's a chapter in your book and Man, the whole book is just a journey of, of just inspiration and wisdom and courage and hope. And I, I kept thinking to myself, wow, I thought that this was a book for women, but really it is, it is for everybody. I can't encourage you guys enough to go out um, and get this book. Or or, I listened to it on Amazon, so and it's definitely one that I will revisit many times in my life. It's one of those. Well, thank you, thank you for all the work you put into it, and I'm sure that that was, um, you know, part of. I'm sure it was cathartic, but I'm sure it was a painful journey to put that story into words and then offer it to people. Um, That's a vulnerable place, so. Guys, please go check out the book, um, From Lost to Found, Giving Up What You Think You Want for What Will Set You Free. Nicole, thank you so much for your time today. And can you tell our listeners how they can find you if they want to learn more or connect with you
1: deeper? Absolutely. Um, I love connecting with readers and listeners. Um, My website is www.nicolezazowski.com, N-I-C-O-L-E. Z-A-S-O-W-S-K-I. And then I'm just at Nicole Zazowski on Instagram. And those are the places I hang out the most. Nicole, thank you for sharing your beautiful,
0: amazing journey. And um, it was such an honor to interview you today. Thanks
1: for having me. And likewise, so fun to connect with you.